0: Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc.
1: Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine.
0: Today, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1. That which we have seen and heard, we also proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Within just a few short years of the beginning of the Christian movement, of the church movement in the first century, spiritual counterfeits had already sprung up. And uh, this shouldn't surprise us too much because for every truth that God offers, there's always going to be a counterfeit. But some of those early examples like the Judaizers who say you have to convert to Judaism first or the Gnostics who, uh, who misunderstood and misinterpreted the Word of God or the Docetics who began to deny that, that Jesus was God and also the Surinthians, not the Corinthians. But already there were some professing Christians that were beginning to retreat and to fall away from truth and from the church, and they were being led astray by these these false teachers. And in John's old age, he writes to those that he had led to the Lord long ago, and he's encouraging these dear children of his to encourage them to stand fast and to remain in fellowship with God, to reject false teachers and to show true Christian love to each other. John was the bishop of Ephesus and probably was writing from Ephesus at this time. But this very short epistle gives us a glimpse of what the first century church was combating and what they were struggling with right out of the gate as they were beginning a new movement. Here we see Christianity confronting paganism and humanism, which was so prevalent, both inside the church and outside the church. And so John puts together this little tract that could be passed around from, from church to church that he had influence with. John weaves together three very simple truths that are incredibly necessary. Number one, truth, love, and obedience. Throughout all of this epistle, truth, love, obedience. God's people must know God's truth. God's people must obey God's truth. And God's people must love God's people. These three thre- things we begin to see in triplicate throughout what John writes to this first church. This apost- apostolic letter begins by authoritatively speaking to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It is important that we pay attention to the incarnation of Christ, though this is not a Christmas passage of Scripture. Well, perhaps maybe it should be. But this is a message of John's doubting readers that they needed to hear these these false teachers and to deny what they were teaching about Jesus' divinity and his humanity. Some would say Jesus was only a man but was not God. And others would say Jesus was not, uh, was not God or was not man at all, but some apparition. That's what the Corinthians begin to teach that Jesus wasn't human at all. He just took on the form of humanity. And John is telling them the truth, not his opinions, what he has seen, what he has heard, and what he has touched. It reaffirms the very core of Christianity. To know God, to love God, and to love each other in obedience. You know, i said this a while back, and I believe that God is still teaching me what this literally means or actually means for for our context, but uh, the name or the term Christian has become incredibly cheap. Lots of people use the term Christian. In fact, I I meet from time to time many Christians who are not because they deny either the deity of Jesus or the humanity of Jesus. Not in the Christ or or a Messiah, but that Jesus is that. Jesus was some moral teacher, and so to apply the term Christian to someone is to say that they are, anybody know what Christian means? Like Jesus Operating like Jesus, thinking like Jesus, loving like Jesus, obeying like Jesus. But many people have claimed that title. In fact, there are some people who may even go to church every week and claim very loosely the term Christian. If you were to ask, you know, when you enroll in any of the armed forces, they ask you with what do you prefer or identify? Many people will say Christian because, well, it's not Islam or it's not, I'm not an atheist. So what's, What's the options? I'm a Christian. I come from a Christian background. My grandfather started a church. My whatever, whatever reason we have for claiming Christianity. But it was in Antioch where the Christians were first called Christians. If you go back to the origin story of our faith in, in, uh, th- through the Gentiles, you will find that they were called the followers of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man can come to the Father except by me. Clear, right? Clear. If you're going to be a Christian, you have to understand that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life.
1: I don't know how in the world Jesus can be a moral teacher if he lies about that. Followers of the way. But it was in Antioch that the
0: community began to watch the followers of the way live their life. It was in Antioch that they paid close attention to the words and the attitudes and the actions of these followers of the way. And you know what the people in Antioch called these
1: followers of the way? You people. You people are like Jesus. You think like
0: Jesus, you act like Jesus, you talk like Jesus, you give like Jesus, you love like Jesus. You guys are like little Jesuses walking around. And yet it's the followers of the way now who claim the title Christian. Look at us. We are like Jesus. And so when the world looks at us, you know what they see? Not Jesus. Hypocrites. And for those fanatics, those Bible thumpers, you know what we call them? Disciples. We call them followers of Jesus. He you know, kind of beefs it up a little bit. Followers of Jesus, walking in the dust of the rabbi, like there's some progression into this. But you know what? I think we have that completely flipped. I think people who surrender themselves to Jesus Christ, who want anything from Jesus, ought to call themselves followers of the way. And it's the community around us who should look at us and say, you people act like Jesus. Does it make a difference? Maybe. I think it does because I think
1: that we have severely cheapened what it means to follow Jesus. It's become very one-dimensional. It's become very consumeristic it's been
0: it's become very much a i am the apple of his eye i am worthy o oh lord for salvation do something for me for i am worthy of your blessing but we have forgotten that we are simply when we surrender our life to jesus we we become simply conduits whereby this was the original promise was it not i will bless you to be a blessing. The purpose of your blessing is to be a blessing. But we have focused on receiving instead of giving. And Jesus
1: says it's better to give than to receive. And that applies across the board. So this passage of 1 John chapter 1 really gives us a significant
0: reason or opportunity to question ourselves, And I'm not saying that we should like, I'm not trying to talk you out of your salvation, okay? But I do think from time to time, we need to take a spiritual inventory of our allegiance and of our loyalty and of our actions. And we need to do some contemplation, that contemplation that should be taking place in our life day by day that we, that we don't pay attention to. Forces us to examine, you know, we're really good at identifying trees, but I think God expects us to examine the fruit. So, We just identify the tree. We say Christian or blah, blah, blah. blah. But when we examine the fruit of the tree in our life, I wonder what we find. So that's what John's asking us to do. Examine the fruit. Here's the proofs. Here's the proofs. We who claim to be Christians, followers of the way, are called to walk in the truth. But the proof of the walking is obedience and love. But you know that's not always the case in our life, is it? So let's be honest, it's not, that's not always the case in our life. We don't always walk in obedience and we certainly don't always love. I'd like for you to bow your head and close your eyes and let's go to the Lord for a moment. Lord, this morning we ask for the illumination of your word. We pray that you would speak through your servant to your people. Lord, I pray today that Jesus Christ be glorified and lifted up not only in the room, but in our hearts. I pray that we would see him clearly. I pray that he would be glorified in the way we listen, in the way we move about the room, in the way we, we uh, hear. I pray that your spirit would do a work. So Lord, we just lift up the name of Jesus now and we pray that, We would experience the examination, not of our own making, but we give your spirit the freedom to look us over. Reveal it to us, Lord, we pray for the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name, with thanksgiving, we pray. Amen. So, as John says, are are you walking in the light of Jesus? Are you walking in the illumination of of what Jesus has said, what Jesus has done, how Jesus has lived. So you might ask, how do you know if you're walking in the light? I mean, I've said yes to Jesus. I've said yes to him, but what does it mean to walk in the light with him? What does it mean when John gives these expectations? Well, I think what it, one of the things that it would mean, and it's complicated, but... It's to see that our life resembles, continually resembles more and more the life of Jesus. Do you desire to obey Jesus? Is Jesus just an afterthought? Is Jesus something you add to your life or is Jesus the way, the truth, the life, the way you love your spouse, the way you parent your children, the way you care for your neighbor, the way that you attend to, everything is spiritual by the way, but the way you attend to the things in your life, do they have a spiritual nature to them? Are you looking when you walk into the room to see what Jesus is already doing? Are we really living on purpose? Are we really living missionally? If we say Jesus is the way, then we're in the way. Every way we are walking, we are looking to make much of his glory.
1: Jesus isn't a decision we make. It's a series of decisions we make from now till forever. The letter begins, that which was from the beginning. Can you imagine writing a letter
0: to your dear children and beginning with that which was from the beginning. He begins talking about the beginning, just like he did, by the way, when he wrote the Gospel of John. In the beginning, by the way, Christmas story, that is the Christmas story. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very important. This is very important. John is assuming that they have read this already. We know that that which was from the beginning not only refers to Jesus, but what John is saying is that this refers to all things Jesus, not just his person, but his entirety. Everything about Jesus is what he's referring to here. All things Jesus. His entirety, his character, his attributes, his desires, his purposes, his his plans. That, or some translations say what was from the beginning, is a pronoun, and it's used to explain everything that existed before the beginning. Jesus is the alpha, the beginning, the first cause. He is not a created being. He's not simply a man that was born 90 years ago. He didn't begin his life when he took his first human breath, dear children. Do not fall for that. That is cheap. It's a substitute. It's a counterfeit. Jesus is more than what he taught. He's more than his 33 years on earth. He has always existed. He has always interacted with his creation well before his incarnation. Jesus is the creator of the universe. And more specifically, the creator of all life. And you
1: do not need to believe him for that to be true. That's why he says, the word of life. He is the word of life.
0: Later in verse one, he's called the word of life. Then in verse two, he's called eternal life. In creation, he, he, is the, he is the, and God said. That's the son. That's Jesus. You want to know who the, and God said, and God said, and God said. Throughout all the Old Testament, when God speaks, it's Jesus. He is the word of God from the beginning. And he's still the word of God of life. Even without a personal relationship with Jesus, he is still the voice of God. But when you walk in relationship with Jesus, like what I'm talking about, like walking with him, your pathway being illuminated by him. When you are walking in the light, he leads to eternal life. And you may say, "Well, everybody gets eternal life, right? Eternal life in heaven or eternal life in hell." And I would say that's not true. It's not true. Eternal life in heaven, yes. Eternal life in hell, it's eternal death in hell that lasts for eternity. There's no life in hell. It's only death. And no, I'm not talking about annihilation, but there's nothing in hell that would resemble life.
1: There is no light there. There is no life there. Eternal torment for all eternity for those who only claim to walk in the light. He says the life appeared, it refers to
0: God's, Jesus's incarnation, him becoming human in the person of Jesus Christ. This is where where John connects several of the dots to say, now, it's so funny too because it's not, it's not really obvious to us. It's really obvious to them because they are struggling and they're aware of it. I don't know if they asked John a question to clarify or what, but they're keenly aware of this slipping away. And so now, so far, what John has said is he was from the beginning and he appeared to us. He is both
1: God and he is man. Not 50-50, 100-100.
0: I won't take the time to explain that because after 6,000 years of human history, we're still trying to figure that out. So as soon as we get that one sorted out, we will communicate that. But this is a very important clarification for the first century Christians who are really struggling. And we wonder, really, I think maybe some of you might even say, and I certainly do, how in the world could these people fall for such teaching like that? How could they fall for it? I'm so glad. We think of ourselves so positive. I'm so glad we're not this, pardon me, dumb. So easily. And you say, well, they didn't have a lot of books and they didn't have a lot of podcasts and they hadn't heard a lot of preaching yet. So, you know, but how in the world could they fall for this stuff? Man, I'm so glad we're not like Adam. I'm so glad we're not like the children of Israel, aren't you? I'm so glad I'm not like those
1: frustrating followers of Jesus. So glad we're not like the first century
0: Christians who didn't truly understand the magnitude of living in the glory of Jesus Christ. These, these teachings still, that's the same teacher, by the way. It's the same teacher. Satan has been the same teacher for all time these teachings apparently still hold Christians back. Many, many people say today, I have this conversation all the time. Well, oh, Jesus was just a good teacher. You've heard it. People still say Jesus was just a moral teacher. No, Jesus was the greatest charlatan and liar the world has ever seen. That's who Jesus was if he is not God. He's just a, he's just a man. And still others would say, well, I, I've, I've heard many people declare that Jesus probably never, there was never a character, never a person named Jesus. He is an assimilation or a culmination of many personalities going on in time. And they begin to write about him and put him in. And I'm sitting there thinking, I talk to a lot of non-Christians or nominal Christians who claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ but spend no time with him. And so when these false teachers or these experts at the Bible begin to pontificate about the things of God they know nothing of, Christians are like, whoa, wow, I never knew that. Falling away, falling away, falling away. But you know the difference is we're not writing any letters to anybody saying, help us maintain the glory of Jesus.
1: We just seem to be okay with half-hearted faith. The word that John uses here is really intentional.
0: He's talking about the full encompassing of the good news. That's what the word of life is. It's the, it's the full, we already talked about that, but it's the full encompassing, not just about Jesus, but everything about God is for us. And, and God sent his son to us to prove it. That's the good news. And while a relationship with Jesus is the most important decision a person could ever make, it isn't just Jesus that you get when you, when you make that decision. You don't just get Jesus. You get everything that Jesus has and everything that Jesus is. And I think the early church understood this. Is that the word that John uses here, the word uh, there, by the way, the word that, G- that John uses is not the one we would expect him to use. We would expect him to say the Logos. The Logos. That's actually the word that he used in 1 John. In fact, John uses this word Logos 36 times times. Logos, 36 times. And every time that he uses it about Jesus, it, it is when God uses words, Jesus comes out. Every time that John uses it regarding Jesus, every time that God speaks, Jesus comes out. Jesus is the word of God. The Bible is the written word of God. Jesus is the living. Word of God. If you want to know who God the Father is, look at Jesus. If you want to understand the Scripture, look at Jesus. Jesus is the eternal living Word of God. But in this case, John uses a different word that he only uses three times. And it's the word, not logos, but logu. Okay, it's a very similar word. I get it. But it's very important as well. It means practically the same thing here but it is in the genitive case. And I know some of you Greek scholars uh, you know, care about these things, and many of you don't, but it's these kinds of things that really matter. In the genitive case, what does that mean? It means that it's possessive. Well, you lose it in English, but in the original language, it's really clear. They understood it very clearly, that it's possessive case. This word possesses, in this case, life, life. Everything that is life. It may seem complicated, but let me make it very, very simple. John is saying that Jesus is not a checkbox. Out of Jesus comes everything pertaining to life. But there are so many substitutes that look like life that we fall into and we prefer because they're easier that they do not lead to life. Only the Jesus life
1: leads to life, especially eternal life. So John is already talking about obedience using a single word. So those who claim to follow Jesus
0: to walk in the light but are not truly walking in the light may have some semblance of life. But listen to me clearly, that life does not lead to life everlasting. It's false. Only the light that is lived in the light of Jesus daily is the life that leads to everlasting. Let me illustrate it this way. Super, super easy to, to remember. This week we were uh, listening to, to, to uh, John Weaver teach, and he was talking about Genesis chapter one, which is, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." Right, we're on verse one. Right, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void and darkness over the face of the deep." and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Listen, when, when I do this, I want you to finish it. Not, I'm not trying to dance, okay? God said, let there be light. And there was light. Good. <laughs> now look at this. this. The Spirit of God is... Hovering, the voice of God is speaking. You see that? That's not, that's not really even, that's not even hard. The spirit of God is hovering, the voice of God is speaking. God's spirit and God's voice brings about God's creation. Okay? So when you go into the New Testament and you find when God's word with God's spirit brings about God's creation, right? Here we stand. God's Word, obedience to the living Word and to the written Word. The written Word is the personification of the... Jesus is the personification of the written Word, the living Word. God's Word, Jesus, God's Spirit
1: inside of a person. We become a new creation. Second birth. So, and this is true regardless of what you do with Jesus. But when you walk with him in this life, you will have eternal life. Okay. Some of you are thinking, well, we're never going to get through this passage. Because that's exactly
0: what I'm thinking right now, too. Look at... Look at this, finish verse one. Which we have heard and seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We have seen it, testified to it, proclaim it to you. The eternal life, which was the Father, was made manifest to us. By the way, these words that that John uses again, the, the have heard, have seen, have looked at, have touched, they're deep. They're deep and they're really rich, right? So the verb tense indicates that it was something that occurred. In English, they look past tense, but they're not past tense, uh, they, they imply a beginning point, but a continuation. And so think about that continuation. It's like we have seen, but we see. Uh, we have heard, but we're still hearing. Uh, we have touched, we're still touching. Uh, Jesus is still, all right? Jesus is still making a difference in our life. He's still transforming us. When, when I say I have been a pastor for over 25 years, you know what I mean. In English, you need context. In Greek, you need the grammar to to tell you what's going on. So when I say I have been a pastor for over 25 years, you know that means that I still am a pastor. Well, when John says this, it's not a moment in time. It's a continuation of all things Jesus. It continues to move. Jesus is... John's talking about this ongoing process of learning more and seeing more and touching more and being changed more. This transformation isn't a moment in time. It is ongoing from now on. Jesus isn't a decision. Jesus is life. And John couldn't help but tell us about it and tell them about it. John heard these words from Jesus directly. And all the apostles were ready to die in order to verify
1: and to validate what they had seen, heard, what they had touched. His life
0: flowing into them. So just think of it this way. His, his, Jesus' life flowing into them, but the proof of that was his life flowing out of them. I, I, want, I want us to understand that. That's what John is saying. This life that flows in, I know it's flowing in. How do I know it's flowing in? Because it's flowing out. So, again, very quick evaluation. What's flowing out? What's flowing out? That's how you can tell what's flowing in. What's flowing out? When you, when you have conversations, what TV show are you referencing? What jokes are you telling? The, the, out, the, the, the Google searches that you put into the computer, what's, what's, what's coming out? That, I'll tell you, that's what's coming in. Every time whatever is coming in, that's what's coming out. You put Jesus in, you'll get Jesus coming out. You put the things of the world in,
1: things of the world comes out. You don't like your attitude, you don't like the things that you say, you beat yourself up when you say too much. Maybe we're taking too much of ourselves in. God intended us to have this fellowship with us when he created us.
0: So he made us in his image. There's a lot that I want to say about that, but I'm not going to. But we broke this fellowship with him from the very beginning. Sin, rebellion, disobedience to God. But still, God didn't abandon us completely. He gave us, he gave us another, another, another way, the way, in fact. He was always the way because before the foundation of the world was laid, we already, God had already decided that he was going to send Jesus for our rebellion. And then he created. The plan was already in place. But we broke that fellowship. But over and over, God keeps making a way, right? He keeps bringing us back into fellowship with him. He called Abraham to bless him and to make him a blessing. And Abraham was called a friend of God. And God chose Israel as his own people and he made a covenant with them. And God brought them out of slavery by his mighty power. And God provided a means of forgiveness and sacrifice for them in order to have fellowship with them by giving them temples and tabernacles. And God sent them prophets to keep bringing them back, keep bringing them back because he desired this fellowship but it's the sin and the rebellion of our hearts that continually draw us away from him and yet we claim to be the people of God but God continues to pursue us, continues to pursue us and in this moment on this day he is continuing to pursue us but we can only have fellowship with the Father when we walk in fellowship with
1: the Son there is no other way Verse 4 tells us another reason that John wrote this letter, by the
0: way. He said, we write this so that our joy may be complete. This is the proof of continued fellowship with Jesus is fellowship with one another. It's this desire to be together. And not to talk about the week, but to talk about the work. To talk about our Savior, to talk about his goodness to us, to talk about how we have seen him, to testify to each other, to encourage each other to speak Jesus to each other. That's what fellowship means. And I'm telling you, if we would walk in fellowship with Jesus, Jesus would be much more prevalent in our conversations with each
1: other. So we're talking about we have fellowship with the Father, he says. And that fellowship, we have
0: fellowship with one another. And that's when your joy is complete, right? That's what John says. Our joy may be complete because we have been restored to you. We're restored to him. We may be restored to you. Vertical relationships, horizontal relationship. When you have your vertical relationship uh, right and your horizontal relationships right, joy. Because you don't have baggage hanging over you. Your relationship's right with God. Your relationship's right with your spouse. Your relationship's right with God. Your relationship's right with your neighbor. Your relationship's right with God. Your relationship's right with your children. Your relationship's right with God. Your relationship's right with a waitress who didn't get your food right.
1: Your relationship with God. Your relationship is right with your neighbor, your boss, your
0: enemy, those who persecute you and speak evil of you, You know what? When you can live like that, you can't live like this, by the way,
1: unless you're living like this. You live like this, live like that, joy. So I just wonder,
0: would all all of those of us who live in perpetual joy please
1: stand? Just kidding, don't do it. All right, shifting to the end, okay?
0: Shifting to the end. How do we maintain this? It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to maintain it. Because I can tell you right now, we might sense this. I could do better. I hope that, I hope that we're all sensing a, I could do better. And, But I don't, think we'll, I don't think we'll think that tomorrow. I think we'll be contented to tomorrow. So how does it get maintained in our life? Well, he says, so in verse 10, He says, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. Remember in Revelation? I love this in Revelation. The Bible talks about there is no sun. You know why there's no sun? He he is there, right? He's the light. That's what he just says. He says it here. He says it everywhere. He is the light. Jesus told the disciples, I'm the light of the world. I'm also the light of heaven. And in heaven, there is no, there's no darkness. There's no shadow. Can you imagine? No shadow. We could only live in this life by shadows, But in in heaven, there are no shadows because Jesus is perfect light. That's what he's talking about here. It's perfection, no flaw in God at all. He is perfection. He exposes and he illuminates. He exposes and he illuminates. He, He
1: reveals our sin to us and he also reveals his glory to us. His word shines a light here. By the way, his word... And Jesus,
0: he shines a light here. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He, he shines here and he shines there. It's this perpetual walking in the light of Jesus. Obedience to the word and the word. Walking in him allows for no darkness at all. And you know, darkness and light can't get close to each other. Right? you ever think about that? Darkness and light can't, can't get close to each other.
1: Light, light drives away darkness, but darkness doesn't drive away light. You ever notice that? Darkness is eliminated in light, but light is not eliminated by darkness.
0: Have you ever, have you ever thought about this? I was just thinking this week, you can't
1: turn darkness on You can only turn light off. John begins by teaching us the truth about God, who he is, who Jesus is,
0: but then he begins to teach us the truth about ourselves. And by the way, this is where kind of the rubber meets the road. In verse 10 through 6, we find the word, if repeated Five times. It's the beginning of each verse. And so we're going to if these things, and then we'll be done this morning. But John wants us to consider the things in our life that hinder our fellowship with God. And he kind of boils it down into one thing, and it's lies that we believe. Lies that we believe. Verse 6, 8, and 10 they all are claims. About ourselves, which are not true. Claims that are not true. Let's look look at verse 6. says, if we say we have fellowship with him,
1: while we walk in darkness, we lie. Do not practice the truth. Wait a minute.
0: Well, that kind of does away with how close to the line can I get and still keep my salvation. How much sin can I commit and still be right with God?
1: That's kind of the world we live in today. What does it mean to walk in darkness? Well, it means to live in sin. John says
0: words are not enough to make us right with God. That's what he's saying. Words are not enough
1: to make us right with God. Believing the right thing about God is very, very important, but it's not enough to
0: have fellowship with God. You can believe, and you can learn, and you can process, but these things are not enough to transform us. People can claim to have fellowship with God with their mouths, and yet with their actions, they are not reflecting the character of light, holiness, truth, and love. You can claim whatever. John is saying claims are not transforming. In fact, they cause you to fall under a spell where you're contented with your decision that you prayed, a checkbox that you marked. But what difference does that prayer make? What difference does that check mark make if we're not walking in fellowship with Jesus? It just leads to to death.
1: Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Wait a minute. If we
0: say we have no sin, he's writing to Christians here, by the way. He's writing to his dear children. If we say we have no sin, <laughs> you, you, you just, you're, dece- you're deceiving yourself, which is probably the worst kind of deception. And the truth is not in us. We cannot claim, listen, I, I say this with love. We cannot claim that sin does not affect us. And I know a lot of people who may want to claim that. Well, I can do that. It really doesn't affect me. I can, I can do that. I can, it really doesn't affect me. But John, but John says we
1: cannot say, I am forgiven. Therefore, I claim Grace. John says that
0: we cannot say, I'm forgiven. It doesn't really matter how we live as long as we've trusted Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. But there are so many exhortations in the New Testament telling Christians not to live according to sinful desires. Paul says, flee what the evil desires of youth to abstain from all appearance of evil. Not just evil, even the appearance of evil. And he says to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Listen, if we walk in the light of Jesus, we will be aware of sin in our life. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't carry around baggage anymore. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. And that baggage weighs you down. You say, well, you know, as long as I don't lose my salvation. There are better things, right? God wants to give his life to us. When we are willing to walk around in sin and carry the name of
1: Jesus, God forbid, Paul would say. But to claim we don't have sin. By the way, I hear people all the time talk about
0: Christians. I'm just going to get a real quick misnomer on this. I think a lot of people think, well, as you're a Christian, you think you're perfect. You're so much better than me, holier than thou. We talk about all that stuff. And I would say this, don't let people get away with that. I don't know any, any people who follow Jesus who think they're better than anybody. Now, some, we may, some people may act like that, but Jesus never acted like that. In fact, he was the servant of those people who, who said that kind of stuff to him. The Christians aren't perfect. Christians are the ones that are aware they're not. It's like, I think that's the thing that sets us apart as Christians is... Woe is me, for I am undone. I mean, the thing about a Christian that sets them apart is a, a, des- a recognition for the desperate need of Jesus. That's the thing that binds us together, not how good we are, but how broken we are. How, how much we recognize the brokenness that Jesus restores and fixes. Verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So verse 8 tells us to deny our sinful nature. Verse 10 tells us to deny, we deny our sinful actions. Look at this, verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, if we say we have no sin, now, like living now, but if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do you see how emphatic this is? If you say you have no sin, you're out. If you say that, what does he say in verse 6? In verse if we say we have fellowship with him, but we're in darkness or living in sin now, you're a liar. You're, don't practice the truth. You're a liar. You're a liar. You're a liar. What you say about sin, you're lying
1: to yourself and you've convinced yourself of contentment. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This this claim is not
0: only self-deception; it actually looks at God and says, "You're wrong about me, God. You're wrong about me." God sent His Son into our world because of our sin, and I think we need maybe just consider sin for a moment. What's Romans three twenty three says? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you take that that one verse, say, "For all have sinned," what does that mean? fall short of the glory of God. So so let's put together a real quick weights and balances, right? Let's do that real quick. Sin, glory of God. When you have a diminished view of the glory of God, you'll have a diminished view of sin. But when you have a weighty view of the glory of God, you'll have a very keen view of your sinfulness. Because the more aware of the glory of Jesus Christ you are, the easier it is to see sinful attitudes, to hear sinful words, to, be, to recognize sinful thoughts. And what John is saying, and to be able to immediately take that to him, to recognize that and to bring it into the light Of Jesus Christ in a walk in obedience.
1: Just deception. You remember,
0: I really hesitate to say this, uh, but you remember Donald Trump a few years back? I remember my heart just, what in the world? When he said, I've never done anything that needs forgiveness of God. I don't don't murmur. You can go look it up. It's really easy to find. It was right when he decided, and I'm not I'm not I'm not speaking politically. I'm because it was a it was a big speech. Somebody asked something about you know his faith, and he made the big statement. Now, hopefully, that's changed. There is evidences that maybe that has changed, maybe, and I hope that it has. But I'm telling you that we can all live in that lie when we're not walking in the light. We forget who we were. If you forget who you were, you'll forget who you are. If you forget who you are, you'll forget where you're headed. That's what John is saying right here. You lie, you lie all the way through. You lie about where you're headed. I'm, I'm with God. but you living in darkness? No, you're not. And that, that lie comes because you're lying about your your daily life and that lie
1: you begin to believe because you have forgotten who you used to be. Verse 7 and 9 though
0: give us the means and the blessing of having fellowship with God. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So this but goes back to verse 6. Walking in the light like or as he is in the light. How do we walk in the light? Well, here is the illustration. As Jesus is in the light, that's the remedy for your hypocrisy and lies. Verse six, claim to walk, claim to be his, but walk in darkness. Verse seven says, the remedy to that, walk like Jesus. When we do that, we become family together. We have fellowship with each other and our sin can be not only forgiven, I love this, cleansed. Not forgiven, cleansed. Have you ever done something and you feel bad about it? You go to that person, you say, "I'm really sorry for what I've done," and they say, "You know what? I'll forgive you." And you walk away, and you still kind of feel the heaviness of it. Maybe not. Maybe it's just me. Just walk around with the heaviness. You're forgiven, headed toward restoration, but you feel heavy. But but see here. This is what Jesus does. If We walk in the light as he is in the light. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Not only only do we have forgiveness, it never happened. But yet, not walking in fellowship, I think sometimes we still walk under the weight. This is just the opposite.
1: Continuing to walk under the weight of sin and not rejoicing in what Jesus has given us. Verse
0: 9, we're almost done. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to recognize that we are restored. We are restored by his glory. Verse 9 says to confess our sins. This word actually implies a very sensitive, thoughtful, immediate, specific confession of any sinful thought, word, action, attitude, that includes the things that we didn't do that we should have and the things that we did that we shouldn't have done. But when we confess our sins, I want to kind of leave you with this for a minute. When we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. And with His faithfulness and His justice, what does He do? He forgives it. Did you know in this world... If you were to do something egregious enough to have to say, I'm sorry, that's where condemnation comes. That's where judgment
1: comes. You confess in this world, judgment. You go to court and you confess something, judgment. You come to Jesus, confess it, forgiveness. Cleansing.
0: Isn't that wonderful? So when you confess in this life, Lord, I'm a sinner and I'm desperate for you. And you live and you walk in the light of that. What's the benefit? Forgiveness, cleansing, refreshing, joy, freedom, restoration, resurrection. But if you don't confess and you don't walk in
1: this life, he will be the judge on that final day. So for today, there is no condemnation for those who walk in Jesus Christ. John makes it really easy. Jesus is who he said he is. That's the easy part. I saw him. I heard him. I watched him. I touched him. Jesus is who he
0: said he is. And for those of you who call yourself Christians, Jesus is
1: who he said he is. Are you? Are you who you say you are? I don't mean at the church level, I mean in the walking in darkness level. I mean, in the walking, in the middle
0: of the night level, knowing Him, obeying Him, loving him. And it's the lies that we tell ourselves, not the lies that the world has told us, the lies that we tell ourselves. I can have fellowship with him and still sin. We lie to ourselves, we don't recognize our sinfulness. We lie to God when we claim we don't need forgiveness for anything. So I asked you this morning, what lies are you believing? What are you telling yourself today that exempts you from walking
1: in holiness with him? What are you telling yourself today that has exempted you from being a follower of the way? Lord, thank you for your word this morning pray that you would receive honor
0: as we remember. I ask today that you would be heard and not me. I pray that in the stillness of these moments that your Holy Spirit would give us the function to evaluate the fruit of what we see, what we hear, what we touch. Is it Jesus or is it lies and deception? Lord, your word cuts sharp, but it cuts correctly, it cuts rightly. I pray this morning that your your spirit would do the work that you intend it to do. Will you stand with me, please, this morning? If if there are some some things, some lies that you know that you are you have reinforced so many times, you know what they say. You can tell yourself lies so many times, you begin to believe them. You know, if you tell certain stories the same way over and over, you'll be, you'll start to have memories of those stories. <clears throat> and I think sometimes our faith works out that way as well. It's like we tell ourselves the same thing over and over. It's like. we begin to believe it. I'm not that bad. Maybe Jesus isn't that good. Whatever the case may be, if there's something that you know right now the Holy Spirit has given you that you know you need to work through, pray about, be aware of, maybe even cast down. Maybe there's some sin in your life you just need to you need to you need to be able to rise up in freshness. I ask you today will you come? Will you come and put your, your, your walking where your claims are? He's pursuing us for fellowship today. Let's choose him while there's forgiveness and not judgment. This isn't a place you're going to be judged. Oh my goodness, there's no way in the world I could ever begin to judge. No, I need I need cleansing. I'm not your judge. There's not a judge in this room. Let me me beg you, in fact. If there's a decision you need to make today, make it today. Lord, we know as we walk and as we walk away, you walk with us. So Lord, this morning, I just pray that your conviction, the tension that we feel in this moment, Lord, there's a lot of I sense a lot of tension in the room. And I'm grateful for it because you're still pursuing us. And I pray today we won't continue to lie to ourselves. Lord, I pray we know what to do with the things that you're teaching us. And so I just pray that today, Lord, continue to pursue, be merciful to us, continue to pursue. Let's sing another verse. I asked you this morning. I know you, you thought we were done and you were relieved. If you were relieved because we were done, this next verse is for you. The Lord has given you another, another opportunity. Lord, we thank you so much for the promises of forgiveness. We thank you so much for the cleansing that we find in obedience and in love. We thank you for the fellowship that we have with each other. And we return all of these to you now and we give you thanks and honor and glory. I pray that as we go, Lord, we would take your truth, we would take our obedience and we would love as we go and that the world may know that the Father has sent the Son. And as the Father has sent the Son, so send I you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at
1: myconnectchurch.cc.